Greetings, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came, who is coming, and who will come again. As we move forward during Advent as Christians, we observe the season of expectation, of expectant waiting and preparation and celebration. Celebration of God's incarnation on earth, God's coming to earth in the form of man, Jesus, the incarnation of God, the Son in Bethlehem on that first Christmas. During Advent, we're mindful of how much we ourselves need a Savior and how God's grace provided an answer to that need, grace that saves us from all our sin, an unexpected, unprecedented, sacrificial answer, the coming of Christ, unique in all history. And so in the season, we keep in mind both advents of Christ, the first in Bethlehem and the second yet to come, when we will all share in Jesus' final victory over sin and death, when he will take us all home. Reason to celebrate, indeed. In recent weeks, we've been talking about how various figures in Scripture, various key figures, responded to the coming of Christ. The shepherds and what they did the Magi and how they choose to follow, uh, chose to follow, John the Baptist and his humility, Peter, James, and John and their mountaintop experience, how they responded, which one again, once again serves to raise the question, this year, how will we respond? How will we prepare for the incarnation? What will be our Advent response? Will we be caught up again in this great mystery, this awesomeness of what God has done, or will it elude us? Will joy and gratitude make us passionate to share the good news, or will we leave the witnessing to others? Will the hectic busyness of our schedule drown out the opportunities for acts of kindness and compassion? Will the strongholds and entanglements that Greg talked about last week keep us from worship and meditation on Scripture? Or will we be intentional islands of peace and grace and hope in the lives of our families and our friends and using those attributes to draw those around us towards Christ? What will be our Advent response? How will we prepare this year? As I prayed about this myself in the midst of my own challenges and preparation this season, the first response I was led to was gratitude, simple thanksgiving. An attitude of gratitude is medicine for my spirit whenever I feel under attack or fearful or prideful or overwhelmed. Gratitude is my armor against the many idols of life that bombard us and bombard me every day. And it can be and should be medicine for all of us, I think. My fears and worries are remedied by gratitude. My anxiety becomes hope and thanksgiving. The words thankful and grateful mean pretty much the same thing if you look them up in the dictionary. There is, however, a subtle difference between these two words, a nuance between thankful and grateful. When we use the word thankful, we often say, I am thankful for, and then we fill in the blank with some tangible thing from our list 
that we're thankful about. But when we use the word grateful, we say, I am grateful to, and then we add a name. So while thankfulness is a good thing, it focuses perhaps too much on the blessing, whereas gratefulness places the focus on the one who actually blessed us. Gratefulness. Sometimes it's easy to feel grateful, but not always. We can look down our long list of blessings and rejoice over all the good things we have to enjoy. But other times, other times, perhaps even often for some of us, gratitude doesn't come so easy. Life seldom goes exactly the way we hope and plan. And sometimes our personal list of blessings has a few gaps or items that were written boldly have begun to smear with time or pain or disease. Sometimes pride and self-reliance get in the way. Far too often, it's hard to feel thankful, hard to hold on to gratitude. Last week, Greg Anderson shared a quote about humility from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it's worth repeating. Celebration of Advent, Bonhoeffer said, is possible only for those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, give thanks, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for all of us in Christ Jesus. Notice the Bible doesn't say for everything give thanks. This passage and others in in Scripture say in everything give thanks. It means if we look carefully, we'll find that almost in any situation, there are reasons to be grateful to God, reasons for hope. The Bible is a book of hope. Paul writes in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we may overflow with hope. Even when we live in days filled with pain or sorrow, or in a nation in disarray economically or politically or socially, even morally, lacking in gratitude, perhaps overfilled with prideful people, as followers of Christ, we find reasons for hope because we're not relying on our own intellect or our own strengths. We're not relying on science or technology to make the world better a place for us. We're not relying on prideful leaders because gratitude and humility are two sides of the same coin, the coin of submission, of God-reliance rather than self-reliance. And pride really does get in the way. One of my favorite authors is Max Lucado. I probably have dozens of favorite Maxisms that I've quoted over the years because of the wonderful word pictures that he draws in his, in his books and in his videos. Here's one I heard just four weeks ago in Greg and Andrea Anderson's Sunday morning adult Bible study. It's simple, Max writes. God resists the proud because the proud resist God. Arrogance stiffens the knee so it will not kneel, hardens the heart so it will not admit to sin. 
The heart of pride never confesses, never repents, never asks for forgiveness. Indeed, arrogance, the arrogant never feel the need for forgiveness. Pride is the hidden reef that shipwrecks our soul. And I think even the sailors, even the non-sailors among us can appreciate that quote. So if we haven't already done so, let's all let go of pride and self-reliance. Let's be grateful in preparation for Jesus' coming. And once we find our way to grateful, what, what other response can there be other than to worship, to give love back to the one that loved us first, to show our devotion, to show our gratitude? What other response can there be to the impossibly good news that God, the maker of heaven and earth, of all there is, seen and unseen, has been born to a woman as a helpless baby boy, a real flesh and blood human being. What other response could be appropriate when we come face to face with the incredible truth that God chooses not to be a distant deity, but to come among us as one of us in the person of Jesus Christ? God assumes our human form in all its frailty and limitations and weakness so that we may be healed, so that we may be united with Him. The Apostle Paul gives Timothy and us instructions on worship. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1, Paul reminds us that prayer and worship and gratitude are inseparable. I urge then, Paul writes, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. But I don't need to tell you this. You already know this in your hearts because you're here on a Wednesday night with many other things making demands on your time. You're here to worship, showing devotion by your actions. And most, if not all of you, will be here again on Sunday or maybe Saturday We'll be here, and we'll also be at home, and we'll be in the homes of family and friends, and in all these places, our voices can and should join with the company of angels and the company of heaven who forever sing praises in response to the, this news, this great news of great joy. That is our Advent worship, not just in this room, but everywhere we go during this season and everywhere we go every month of the year. Paul writes in Romans 12 that we should offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will. Offering 
is the essence of worship. Worship is offering ourselves to God, not, not our money, ourselves. Worship is our response to God's love, and we love him because he first loved us. We are devoted to him because he's devoted to us. Thoughtful, intentional worship focuses our Advent preparation and our response. Worship, praise, devotion. That is our response to the glorious mystery of the incarnation of God in the birth of Jesus Christ. Our next response is to study God's word of life, God's word of truth, God's plan. Studying God's word helps us to know who we are and what God is calling us to become. We follow God's word to become disciples, wholehearted witnesses for Jesus to the people that we meet. In other words, to act on what we have learned, to be equipped for good work, for action, and to be fruitful. Just ask yourself, would your faith be enriched if you study and meditate on Bible texts about the first and second advents of Christ? I've done this while preparing for this message, and by doing so, my faith has been enriched. In truth, my faith has been enriched by study ever since my family came to St. Michael 20 years ago. In pastor-led studies, in adult Bible studies led by elders and others, in retreats, in small group Bible studies, in Vita Cristo reunion groups, study reveals how faith can guide every aspect of our lives. We study to grow our relationship with God and become more Christ-like to the world. We study so that God can speak to us as we face life's trials and temptations and obstacles. We study to know the truth and to prepare ourselves to share the truth. The words of Jesus in Luke 11 make it clear, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Study isn't an option for us, brothers and sisters. It's a necessity. If you're in study now, continue. If you're not in a small group or organized Bible study, seek one out. Talk to a pastor. Talk to me or another elder. Check out the weekly bulletin. There are many opportunities inside and outside our church for study. But Bible study is essential to discipleship. And in John Chapter 8, verses 31 32, Jesus himself said to believers, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Only through God's word and God's plan can we find meaningful answers to the questions of life, the big questions, the ones that matter. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 14 through 17, is one of my favorite scriptures about scripture. It's metascripture, for those of you who like the Greek adjectives. It's, it goes, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know 
those from whom you learned it, and how the infancy, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture about Scripture. Make God's Word the treasure in your heart as it is in mine, and it will reward you with riches and equip you for every good work during Advent and every month of the year. Studying God's Word will then equip us and lead us to another Advent response, always important but of special importance during Advent, and that is to witness our faith and the truth of Scripture to the rest of the world. A witness is someone who gives testimony, right, to what they believe, to what, what oneself believes is the truth. That is what a witness gives testimony to. To follow, as Pastor Dave illustrated with the Magi Sunday before last, to follow and believe in God's promises as the Magi responded to the prophecy that, that was in their, their homeland and then decided to follow that star and follow that prophecy, to go, to leave, to journey, as Greg Anderson would say if you were here last week, to identify ourselves with Jesus, to define ourselves by His mission. The shepherds in the Christmas story in Luke's gospel were witnesses also, and we'll just revisit a little bit of Luke 2, the Christmas gospel, Luke chapter 2, starting at 16. So the shepherds, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Not only were the shepherds to witness Christ's birth, they were the first ones to become Christ's witnesses. They didn't know any reason not to witness, not to just be honest about what they'd seen. Religious leaders or politicians might have witnessed the birth but kept it a secret for fear of retaliation or that it was not the, 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 the line. Yet the shepherds immediately began to share the good news with all who would listen. For whatever reason, God first told the shepherds, and there are much speculation and about why he chose the shepherds, I'm pretty sure, I'm fairly sure he wishes we were all more like them. According to Christ, each of us is to be a witness of his saving power, and Advent is one of the best times of the year for us to be witnesses. Now, I know what you're thinking. Talking about our faith, for some of us, is one of the hardest things we'll ever do. We may be afraid that we'll say something wrong or that our words will offend or upset somebody who is listening. Yet the Bible tells us that people can't be saved until someone tells them how. And Jesus planned to have followers to carry the good news after he was gone from the very beginning. His instructions are clear in the words he used to call Peter and Andrew in Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. At once they left their nets to go catch souls for the kingdom. They followed, they witnessed. Pastor Tim shared his, in his message last Sunday, a witness tells what they know, shares their experiences, and a witness remains loyal and faithful to the end. Are we hesitating to respond to Christ this Advent because we're waiting for just the right moment, those perfect circumstances to witness that will allow us to be just as quick as Andrew and Peter? Well, remember the first response we talked about tonight. Gratitude. Our best witnessing happens when our hearts are full of appreciation for what God has done, when we share our experience, when we tell of his wondrous deeds that we have seen among the people. God will give you and God will give me the power to witness. Jesus himself promised us this. Almost the last thing he said in Acts chapter 1 before he ascended, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, nearby, around home. And in Judea, in Judea, the areas around home, the suburbs further away, and in Samaria, heathen nations far away. All these places that are, that are familiar and unfamiliar, Jesus said, we will receive power to be the witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. So we have that going for us, which is nice, as our dear Pastor Joe used to like to say. If the shepherds can do it, if these fishermen can do it, if they listened to what God told them and responded, then we can do it if they can do it. And that's where we start. We listen for God, we trust in his promises, and we respond by sharing our experiences, God's wondrous deeds that we are witnesses to. And the final Advent response I want to touch on this evening, I could list more, but there's no more room on this slide, and my daughter has to go home to study for exams. The final response is closely related to both our growth as disciples and our witnessing. But it's a little bit less direct. And I'm referring to our private and our public acts of kindness and compassion. Our love shown to others without regard to their spirituality or lack thereof. Our indirect witness. Our indirect evangelism. Selfless acts of kindness and compassion, sometimes anonymous, other times in full view of non-believers, that bring hope for God's future to a thirsty and hungry world. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, and Pastor Tim shared this uh, earlier, beginning at verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Compassion, 
kindness, patience, humility, fruits of the Spirit, indeed. Advent is a time to touch those in need, not only so that we might share God's love with them, but also to renew the thirst that we have for the kingdom, that thirst that's within us. The true church, the light of Christ, is put on display when we reach out and share life with and care for people in need, for the hungry and the homeless, for those who suffer from sickness and sadness. For it is by grace we have been saved, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 teaches us two things about working for God. First of all, we see that God has already prepared the work that we should do. Maybe there are specific tasks for each of us individually that God wants us to tackle, or maybe God's handiwork refers to certain attributes or qualities or in Christian life that need to be performed by many of us over and over again. But either way, we should seek out those tasks. We can also see that God's prepared us for these works. And I believe, I, I truly believe that God has fashioned me and God has fashioned each of you, our personalities, our temperament, our spiritual gifts, into vessels to be used to show his love to the world. When it comes to introducing people to Jesus who don't know him, our acts of kindness and compassion will go farther and gain more traction than our mastery of Scripture. Scripture guides us always, but people won't care about what we know until they know about how much we care. I picked that one up in small group Bible study just last night. So in closing, on Sunday, we're going to light the pink candle on the Advent wreath that traditionally referred to as the candle of joy or the Gaudete. Why joy? Why a candle of joy? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The greatest blessing any of us will ever receive is forgiveness of our sins and an eternal home in heaven. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9. Thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. A physician is coming to the sick, a redeemer to those who have been sold, a path to wanderers, a life to the dead. Brothers and sisters, one came and is coming who will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, who will heal our diseases, who will carry us on his own shoulders back into relationship with God the Creator. My friends, that one is Jesus and he is coming. So what else can we do in response but fall to our knees in worship to give witness to the miracle of grace, to study God's word, to grow in faith and knowledge, and to sing with the heavenly host, holy, holy, holy Lord God, power of, and God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Amen.